Ba 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 ba. Hey, hey Ryan, Ryan that's, you... that's my DJ horn. Ba 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 ba. Oh, I get it. Like like on something. You used to do you, the you ba, ba, that ba 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 ba, Brian. Don't act <laughs> you like had that you sound didn't. effect, didn't you? So I did. It's built into. Me. I have a lot of sound effects just like naturally emanating from. It. That's not like <laughs> right. a gas joke. <laughs> I just okay. I'm we just, can cut anyway, that out. This, no, it's not <laughs> we'll, getting cut out. We'll cut that out in post production. So okay, <laughs> you know what? You know what, Ryan? What? You know what I'm Ryan? excited about with this? We've not done a bonus episode in quite some time. No, we haven't. And, we have and not. This is this is a bonus episode. It is. Welcome to the bonus episode. You're going to notice there's no intro on this one. We're just we're just having at it. Right, right in it because Brian so, likes to talk. <laughs> Now, come on. I was going to, you know, I was afraid. I was going to try to get up through all of chapter one in our last episode. And I was afraid that it was going to go too long because it was pretty long, pretty about, about an hour. Yeah. We, uh, But anyway, I I didn't think there was enough for a whole episode. But now we'll see. <laughs> I'm going to try not to go an hour today. But yeah, here's the thing. Scripture is so rich that we could talk about this as much as, as we, we want. But yes, uh, I'll try that, to, I'll try to keep it. I'll try to keep it brief today. So. Brian is very loquacious, speaky, speaky person. I don't know what that no, means. It means talks a lot. Anyway, oh, I'm the okay. talker. Any, this is off to a great start. All right, so Brian, take us through. We're wrapping up Ephesians chapter one here. Right. And we're getting so, into the section that's titled, In My Scriptures, as Thanksgiving <laughs> Prayer. Is that correct? Right. It is a Thanksgiving. It's a, it's a prayer. And the first thing I'll say to you, just interestingly enough, is if you read any ancient epistles, and this is kind of a fun thing to do. Most people don't realize, or maybe many people do, but uh, I know that there have been people in the past I've introduced this to that didn't understand that the New Testament letters take the form of ancient Greek letters. Now, they're much longer than your typical ancient Greek letter, but ancient Greek letters would have these greeting sections, like we've talked about already, Who, who's the letter from, who's it written to, and, and this kind of greeting section. And then there often would be just a sentence, usually, just one sentence, uh, short sentence, I should say, because this is one sentence as well, but just a short sentence of thanksgiving. Uh, I give thanks to the gods of Asclepius, you know, what, whatever, you know, they, they, uh, they will say just a, a quick kind of, you know, prayer, sentence prayer. So Paul kind of takes off on that, except his is much longer. Now, I did mention already, we talked about this last time, that verses 3 through 14 in uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians is, in Greek is one sentence. Right. And the interesting thing is, verses 15 through 23 is one sentence as well. So we have really... really yeah, isn't that crazy? So Paul yes. kind of opens this letter, and then he just, again, I think it's, he's excited and just kind of piles all this language together. I mentioned last week, and you're going to hear this again, um, or I shouldn't say last week, but in the last episode, uh, I mentioned that there's this language of extravagance, and we're going to see that again here, language of abundance. Uh, but Paul uh, talks about this prayer. So go ahead and just read the, maybe the first uh, few verses here, maybe verses 15 through 18, something like that of Ephesians chapter 1. And I know it's difficult to break off because, like I said, it's kind of in the middle of a sentence. But Kind of a run-on sentence here. Yeah. All right, here yeah. we go. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
I prayed. Okay, at just the stop, eyes. stop right there. I said to eighteen, but let's go ahead and stop at seventeen. So he he says because of all of this. So he, you remember we talked about the first part of chapter one talks about what we have. What was kind of the key phrase? Would you say in the first part of that? In Christ, what we talked about in Christ. So what we have in Christ. This is what we enjoy because because we are in Christ. What are some of the things? Do you remember some of the things off the top of your head that uh, that it says we uh, have in Christ that we've been called sons. Right, we have this idea of inheritance, the adoption of sonship, yeah. Uh, That we've been lavished upon by the redemption through his blood. Right, right. Uh, Wisdom and understanding he made known to mystery of his will, which he purposed in Christ. Right. Am I answering this right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no wrong answer. It's just there's a lot of stuff that he says that we we enjoy because we are in Christ, and we're, we're presently in the situation. Uh, I mentioned, you know, when we get to chapter two, he's going to talk a little bit about what it is that our condition is or our situation is before we are in Christ. But then in in this section, he says, for this reason, because of all that we have in Christ, then he says, I've never stopped giving thanks for you uh, when I've heard about your faith. And so it's this idea. Again, it's, it's interesting. It's a general term. Uh, often when Paul will talk about Thanksgiving, he'll be more specific. This is kind of just a general thing. I'm, I've heard about your faith. It's another indication to me that this isn't just to the church in Ephesus that Paul knew very well, but it's to the other churches in the area as well. Perhaps the church in Laodicea, the church in Hierapolis, all these churches in this area of Asia Minor where Paul had served for, you know, had had been where he had taught for maybe two, two and a half years, something like that. Now, I, I, I noticed this when you read in the NIV, it, it says um, uh, it says something about the spirit of uh, wisdom and understanding. Is that what it said there? I, yeah, I the, pray. Uh, that may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Yeah, I'm sorry. Wis- uh, yeah, uh, wisdom and revelation. Sorry. Um, the the idea there is this could be either be the spirit, which in the NIV it has a capital S, which talks about the Holy Spirit then, and mm-hmm. uh or it could be a spirit. There's no definite article here in Greek. So if that's the case, it just means that he, a, a kind of a general spirit or general sense of wisdom and understanding. Uh, the reason I think the NIV has decided to go with the capital S in the spirit here is because the spirit is involved in revelation, as we've talked about before, is involved in giving us wisdom. And one of the things we're going to see here, not only in this part of Ephesians, it's going to be a lot as we go through the rest of chapter one, but in the rest of Ephesians, one of the things that Paul talks about is knowing God. It's one of the key key words here is the idea of knowing who God is, knowing what, what is true about him, but not only knowing what is true, also knowing him. Uh, and we'll see, we'll see some examples of this. Uh, remember previously we talked about that Jesus is the revelation of this, of this, um, mystery, uh, you know, what was previously unknown that now has been made known. I was just, I'll share this real quick. I, I, uh, in preaching this week, I'm preaching a series through the book of Isaiah, and we'd originally talked about kind of tying some of our podcast into that. Uh, it's really interesting this week how it comes together with what we're talking about, because Ephesians uh, 1 here, this idea of the spirit of wisdom and and revelation, um, uh, earlier the spirit of wisdom and understanding, in, in Isaiah chapter 1, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 11, it says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And this is talking, of course, Jesse is the father of David. Um, I love this image of the stump of Jesse, because uh, when Isaiah is writing, he's warning that there's going to be a time 
where the monarchy is going to be cut off. Even though God had promised to David that you'll have a a son who will be on an eternal throne, who will reign forever. All the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had promised David that. But this is a stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. And here's what it says, the spirit, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might. Uh, so it's interesting that Paul kind of picks up on this language, I think, uh, to talk about that it is in Jesus that we have this idea of, uh, of revelation. Jesus, as we have said before, is the ultimate revelation of, of who God is. And so, so he talks about that. Uh, comments or questions at this point? Anything you want to you wanna bring up? No, I... I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm looking here at the footnotes now. It says, when it talks about the spirit, it also right. says down there in my footnotes, or a spirit. Or I mean, that, a I spirit. feel like, I think that, I feel like that kind of changes pretty dramatically, <laughs> though, how you might read that. Am I right? It does. Now, that's why I mentioned both, you know, and, and uh, again, I think, I think the reason that they have gone with spirit with a capital. Yes, referring to the Holy Spirit, then is that that He is the one who is responsible for for this idea of being involved in the process of revelation. So I think that's why they've kind of gone into that onto that side. It's more of it's not a language thing as much as it is kind of a theology thing. That actually right. gives us a little insight into the way that we sometimes do translation. Though we have to think about what is the intent of what Paul's trying to trying to get across here. But um, you know, again, it could be a spirit of wisdom. Uh, I'm trying to think how to describe this. It'd be like if I talked about a spirit of peace, having a spirit of peace among us. You, you understand? Not the spirit, mm-hmm. but a spirit of peace. It'd be this kind of sense that we have. We, we want to cultivate within our um, congregation a spirit of wisdom and, and uh, revelation in that sense or understanding. Uh, I, again, I think I think the NIV was probably right here to, to give a capital S, but you can read all kinds of commentators on both sides. That old, yes, yeah. No, I just I, I had again. I, I'll be honest. I'm I'm not uh-huh. a guy that has has always looks in a footnote to to, right. to see that stuff as I read through it. And so you know, just to point it, that it, out and just thinking about how that might change yeah. everything. Those those footnotes are important, um, and, and I always tell people you know take a look at them, and and you know the the marginal notes are are important to notice in in those kind of things. He goes on. He says this. He says. Um, you know, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all of God's people. I've not stopped giving thanks, remembering you in my prayers. And then verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may, and, and here again is a little bit of a translation thing, so that you may know him. And and what the NIV has added here is that you might know him better. And uh, there's a couple of things I'll say about this. This word is, so the, the kind of the, oh, I don't even want to say this, the the base word for um, to know in Greek is gnosko. Um, uh, knowledge is gnosis. That's where we get our word gnostic from. If you've ever heard mm-hmm. that word, gnostic, yep. it's, you actually pronounce the gamma, the, so it's gnosis. Or um, gnosko is, is the idea of knowing or to know. And this is the word epigenosko, which is a, a little bit of a stronger form to know well or to, to, to really know something along those lines. But mm-hmm. there's also this idea that Paul is writing to people here. He seems to be writing to people who are, well, he said you're in Christ, right? These these are people who already know Jesus. They're, they're, these are not unbelievers, right? These are, these are believers that he's writing to. So deciding to call, to, to say here that you might know him better 
is the implication. Well, you know who he is, but this is, I want you to become, they think Paul's saying, I want you to become deeper. He uses this strong form of, of to know, uh, epigenosco, so that it can be this idea of that you might know him better or know him more. Um, and, and I will say this just briefly. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but there's some who've made a lot of big deal. And it's possible. That's the reason I want to mention it. They made a big deal about the the mystery religions. Um, now these are religions we don't know too much about them because they're mystery religions, right? But but these are these are so they're religions. aptly named. <laughs> well, they they we we sometimes will call them the Egyptian mystery religions too. They seem to have started in Egypt. They kind of focused on this idea of of having secret knowledge or the, the technical term sometimes you'll hear is esoteric knowledge things that are that are unknown to the common person that are then known we call maybe conspiracy theories i don't know but, but anyway this kind of idea of, right this yes. idea of secret secret knowledge and, and as you went up in the mystery religions you, you had more of these things that were revealed to you now one of the reasons people think that this might be part of what paul is I would say it's arguing against in a sense. I don't think that's the primary thing. There's some people who think that's the primary thing he's doing here. I don't think that's the case. I've already told you kind of what I think is the main point here uh, has to do with the relationship. But um, this idea of that, that he will give you revelation, he will give you knowledge. In other words, it's not these religions where you can find these secret secret knowledge. And if you attain certain levels, you know, you will, you will have more revealed to you, but instead it's this idea the mystery, what used to be not known has now in Jesus been made fully known. And, and now, you know, Epigenosco in, in him, you can know him even more. Uh, I should mention, cause I, I said that about relationship that this knowledge probably is not just about doctrine. Uh, it's not just knowing facts about who Jesus is, for example, we could say, or, or truths about the faith, but also knowing in the sense of having relationship with. Um, the word know is used in that way. It, 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 we use it that way kind of commonly, too. Um, and in fact, it's, it's interesting. I, I've used this as an example to talk about the different ways we can use the same word. Um, if I say to you... Um, we do this actually. We do this all the time, Ryan. I'll talk about you. Well, and you did it just earlier. Uh, you say, "Oh, do you remember this person from when we were in when when we were both at Lincoln? You know, when we were both in when I was in school there, when you were working there. Do you remember this person?" And I'm kind of like, oh, kind of scratching my head. Yeah, I think I know. I know that person, right? And all I mean by that, I don't mean I know them well, but it means I'm acquainted with them, or yeah, I, I'm remembering who you're saying. But you might say about, let's say your your husband or your wife. I mean, in your case, your wife. But uh, you might say, yeah, I, I know them. Know them. Uh, meaning I know them intimately. I have, you know, I have a very, um, I have a wide and a deep knowledge of this person because I have relationship with them, right? And and so this idea, I think what Paul's getting at, I want you to know Christ. Uh, he, he says this elsewhere, talking about, I want to know Christ. You know, that's what I, what he considers kind of his his heart and his goal is this idea of knowing Christ. Um and it means not only, I think, you know, it's not just that we're taking an exam and we would get 100% on, an, on a test about Jesus, but it's also that we have relationship with him, that we are, we are, we have both a deep and a wide, uh, intimate relationship with him as well, uh, is the other part of this that I'll say. So that's all through uh, about verse 17 or so. And then I stopped you here because this one's kind of tough. So uh, go ahead and just read verse 18 for me, if you would, Ryan. 
Yeah, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope in which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Okay, heart here probably doesn't exactly stand for what we would say our heart, like if you think about Valentine's Day, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But kind of think about your inner being or, or your, you know, that which is within you. And this idea, the eyes of your you know, your, your, however you want to say this, maybe even soul, but he doesn't use the word soul here, but your, your inner being. Cause if you think about it, I don't, this is one of those phrases we kind of pass over quickly, but the eyes of your heart that they might be enlightened is kind of a strange phrase, right? Mm-hmm. But, but eyes have to do with knowing, right? You, you see, you perceive, uh, we use the, the, the term. Uh, and so this idea, he's praying that they may have, um, Hearts, uh, you know, their 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 inner being might be able to comprehend more and more about who Jesus is. We're going to see a very similar prayer in Ephesians chapter three, which is one of my favorite parts of the book of Ephesians, uh, where Paul prays that they can know more fully these things. And so I think that's what he's saying to them. He's saying, look at all these things we have in Christ. Now, my prayer for you is that you can you can know these things more and more. Uh, and, and I'd say there's a good reason for that. I think it's a good prayer for us as well. Uh, I think the more that we are able to deepen our relationship with Jesus, the more that allows us then to uh, understand uh, wisdom for example, we've talked about before is this idea of applied knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it's the idea that we more and more can understand how it is that we are to respond to the situations we find ourselves in, um, whether that's in our families or in our communities or in the, in this world. I mean, we're constantly bombarded by uh, messages and and decisions that we have to make. And so I think the more we are able to deepen our relationship with Jesus and to know him more, right, to, to um, be, be transformed more, to be like him, then this allows us also to make good decisions about the way that we uh, live in the world, which is what he's going to talk about in, uh, in the beginning of chapter two as well. So yeah. It makes great lyrics to a song, too. Open the oh, eyes of my heart, Lord. Oh, yeah, that's true. I hadn't thought of that one. I thought, that was, I thought that was back in the heyday of <laughs> worship music, I mean, or at least that's true. when I was in that's school. True. Yes, yeah. anyway. Now, notice what it says here. What does it say is the, uh, is the object of what he wants them to know, to know the hope uh, to which he has called you, right? Yes. yes. So hope, hope ha- it has to do with this idea of that which is, uh, I, I usually use the term confident or the phrase confident expectation. It's something that is future, something we have not experienced yet. It, it's we're looking forward to being uh, with Jesus, we could say, but um, it's the hope that he's called us to. And he wants us to understand that more and more. And here's another one of those ex- abundance kind of um, language and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Um, and there's a question here, you know, again, Paul's kind of, you know, run on sins, as you mentioned, he's kind of piling up these terms. And, and the question is, is this inheritance in the sense that it's God's inheritance that now we receive, or is this uh, saying that it is what is God's because of his people? You know, it, the same thing we talked about, his po- his people being his possession, um, if you remember the first part of chapter one. And I think that's probably, that's kind of the, the language here, the way the NIV has translated it kind of leans that way. That his inheritance is that, you know, his people, this holy people that has been set apart in order to accomplish his purpose. He's going to go more into that. And, and 
the church, the idea of wh- who the church is, and I'm using church here in the big sense, not in the sense of the, you know, the congregation in Ephesus uh, or any of these other congregations, but the church as a whole is be- going to become a, uh, one of the things that Paul talks about here and, and the role that the, the church has in, in God's uh, plan. Um, and so I think that's a really that's probably what he's getting across this idea of God's inheritance being His holy people. He's He's uh, brought to Himself this people that has been inherited, and as Paul's going to tell us, these are these are people that come from both uh, Jews and Gentiles, and we've already mentioned that's going to become part of what he says too. Now I love verses nineteen and twenty. Just read those two verses for me, because there's a really cool thing that's going on here. Yeah, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. Okay, and we'll come back and talk about 21 a little bit later. But verses 19 and 20, I want you to notice very, again, you see the, the when I say the language, I wish I had a better term for it, the language of extravagance here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he says incomparably, there's three terms here, incomparably. incomparably. It, well, no, 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 that's fine. People say it all the time. I mean, I hear people on TV saying it in, in, in compa- incomparably. I can't even say it now, yeah. but um, incomparably. Incomparably great. Power. Three terms there that he's piling on. Now think about. It. I mean, just just take for a minute and think about that. Incomparably means that there is nothing to which it can be placed alongside in order to compare it to. Right? Incomparably great. It, it is this idea of uh, you know the word literally lavish. used for size. Right? Lavish again. This big big idea. Incomparably incomparably great. Power and I mentioned before this word power is used frequently, chapter one and also in chapter three we find this word used frequently in um, in the book of Ephesians. But here's what I love about this. What does it say? It says this is a comparably great power, and then he uses this term mighty strength. It is the same mighty strength that he used to raise Jesus, right for the for the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the same power that is at work within us. Is the idea, uh, or for us, is the way we could say this. It's literally um, into us. And so there's a debate here whether that's in us. Later in chapter three, it's definitely in us, or for us, or on our behalf. But this incomparable great power to those who believe, in other words, those who are trusting in who, in who, who Jesus is, that power, he says, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And, and then I want you to notice these other two. We'll come back to this. Seat, uh, raised Christ from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the heavenlies, or the heavenly realms. We've talked about Which that word just before. Earlier we talked about, yeah, previously. In the beginning part of chapter one. So he's using and repeating these terms. And you see, again, I, I've said before, he's kind of painting us a picture, right? Right. But mm-hmm. but I want you to think about that. The power that raised Christ from the dead. Uh, and, and now that idea that that is, is his incomparably great power that is, is on our behalf or working within us. Uh, and not, not us as individuals again, but I would say us as a community of believers. All of those who believe uh, his powers that work within us. And I think that gives us hope and gives us confidence that we can accomplish the things that God has for us to do. Um, and, and again, I, I don't want <laughs> to keep saying this, but man, when we get to chapter 3, one of the reasons I'm excited about doing these series of podcasts Podcast is I have said over and over again, if we can grasp, if we could ask as a church, 
and I mean church big C, if we could grasp the message of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 and put them into practice, I think, I think we could, well, we could really accomplish incredible things with God's power and on his behalf. Uh, but you see it even here, this idea that the power that is at work within within us, the who, who believe, is the same uh, power that raised Christ from the dead. Paul says something, and the other thing I've noticed this time going through Ephesians as I've been preparing for these is the number of times there's parallels to things he says in Romans. Uh, he says something very similar in Romans chapter 8, and if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, then you too uh, will live, even though your body dies, that you will, you will live. And so there's that, that power that is at work within us. Anything you want to say about that? No, I think, <laughs> no, no, there's not a lot for me to say, you know, no, I think it's, um, I, I, I think it's good, you know, to, to think about the, you know, and, and I've read this before, you know, but just thinking about the power and I think, uh, incomparably great. You know, it's like it's the stacking mm, terms yeah. again. It's not, yeah. you know, if he had said incompar- yes. incomparable power, it would still have meant the same That's thing. Great. But it's great. Right. Stacking. This, yeah, and, you the know, mi- it's like, and then it's the mighty strength, right? It's it's a yeah, double it's, term it's as like, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a double, doubling up, you know, it's a double it, cheeseburger like, when the cheeseburger would have worked. <laughs> you know, I keep finding myself struggling to figure out a way to explain this, but it, it's like he's trying to get across this concept that is so great that it's it's just almost, you know, one word doesn't do it. I can't just sum it up very quickly. He's he's piling all these terms uh, well, on it, one another. I think and get I that think, across. you know, one of the things that we've talked about this is we've talked about kind of the oral nature of these, of you know, these letters right. were typically read out loud. Yeah. And, you know, when you think that these are single sentences, you kind of get this idea of, of a preacher <laughs> that's getting excited. You know what exactly. I mean? Like that, he, you know, you, yeah. um, we read these as just words, but these were like preached. And yeah. when you see these phrases, you can, and you get the sense like, don't take a breath, just keep stacking it up. You know what I mean? Like, cause the sentence just keeps, keeps going. And right. it's, you get this idea again of, um, and you talked about this, that Paul would have known uh, Greek rhetoric and all you know these right. these structures, like how to structure a letter for yeah. a point to make a point. And so I think we see yeah. that here where he's stacking these yeah. terms and just driving it home like it's a sermon. He's, he's driving home his point here. It's exactly right. I think we're going to see the same thing in chapter two as well, where he gets so excited about what he's saying, he kind of interrupts himself almost. And, and I think I can show you that, exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, I think that's it. It's coming out in this rush. Um, you know, again, we're probably imagining uh, the, the reason Paul signs a couple of his letters saying, I'm writing in my own hand, and it says, look what large letters I use, right? I don't know if you remember that at the end of the Galatians, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. But um, we think probably, well, most people who are writing letters of Paul's stature in the ancient world would have used what's called an amanuensis. In other words, kind of a secretary who would write down. And in other words, Paul didn't take the pen and write it. And those places where he says, now look, I'm writing, you know, grab the pen and I'm writing it myself, show us that that's how he did this. And so I'm just imagining, like you're saying, Paul's saying all these things and the, and the amanuensis is kind of like writing furiously. Furiously writing. Right, trying to get it all all down, and you know, I think Paul's even thinking about you know what he's trying to get the point he's trying to get across and trying to express. And of course, I believe the Spirit is working in him and through him as well in order to uh, to accomplish this. Now let's go back to twenty one because you mentioned this. Although I do want I do want you to see this. So what does it say about Jesus? Uh, he was his the mighty strength that raised him from the dead, and seated and him at says, his seated him at his right hand in right. the heavenly realms. 
Right. And and um, so we're going to see very similar kind of, and this is just kind of setting us up for next, uh, for chapter two, we're going to see a repetition of this, of this kind of language uh, in chapter two as well, which I think is intentionally um, uh, being, being used. Uh, so he raised Christ and he seated him at the right hand of the, in the heavenly realms. Now, verse 21, you went ahead and read this. But it says far above. So he was he ascended. It's saying here, Christ's ascension even teaches us something about who he is. He ascended far above all rule and authority. So uh, if you think about all of the things that um, the the rulers who who put Jesus to death, uh, Peter says something very similar on the day of Pentecost that. Uh, Jesus now has been raised, and that essentially vindicates him. It shows that what he was saying was true, and those who who uh, warred against him were were not. So he, he is now far above all rule and authority. Now here's where I want to go to, though this this word power and dominion, and every name that is invoked. Um, this is a concept that we see in the Jewish literature as well, this idea of powers and dominions. Um, and, and we're probably here thinking about, and we're going to see again, this is going to be something we're going to see throughout the book of Ephesians, uh, is this idea of power and dominions is, is not only the physical rulers that are, that are around, you know, like the, the emperor and the king and all these people, the governors, this kind of thing, like Pontius Pilate for Jesus, for example, um, but I think Paul is also saying something about the spiritual nature of this uh, battle that we find ourselves in. This word power, these words, power and dominion, is something that we see in, in Jewish uh, literature, especially in intertestamental Jewish literature. But I think we even see it in the book of Genesis, for example, when we have this idea that God created these um, supernatural we would we would use the term supernatural i always struggle for what what to say spiritual beings let's say he he created these spiritual beings to um work on his behalf in um governing his creation let's say right and and so we call angels for example messengers right they're they're ones who 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 work on god's behalf and on behalf of god's people according to the author of hebrews but there are also then these spiritual beings who rebelled at some point, whether we understand that before um, the creation of this world or um, whether we understand that after the creation, um, that there are spiritual um, beings that rebelled against God. Of course, the devil, you know, Satan, as we call him, um, uh, the the Satan maybe, is one who rebelled, but then also led a, a rebellion, according to some of the other uh, passages that we see, for example, in Revelation and other places. And within intertestamental Jewish literature, this was a big deal, that there were these spiritual forces at work against, if you will, God's plan. They were in rebellion uh, against what God had done, and this is a part of what we see. Now, uh, this is going to, again, be something that we see throughout the book of Ephesians. And famously, you probably have quoted at some point Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Uh, do you remember what it says? It says, we do not wrestle we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but yes. against, what does it say? Uh, the rulers, remember? against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So you see that idea. See see that idea again. This kind of spiritual forces of evil, and that's probably what he's talking about here with powers and dominions. But 
Paul's point is that Jesus in his ascension is placed far above all these. So the, the forces that have put this creation into rebellion against God now has been, um, how do I say, Jesus in his, in his work and, and finally in his ascension has been placed over these powers that, have, that are in rebellion. And so he's in the process then of making these things right. Now, it says that that this is true not only for the present age, but also for the age to come. And, you know, that's my favorite way. You know, you've heard me say, you know, if you've paid attention, careful. Uh, this is my favorite way to talk about. This is my favorite way to talk about our hope or our future. I, I use this term, the age to come. The one, and here he says simply the one to come. Um, th- this present age, but also the age to come. So this is saying that not only is he is Jesus now currently reigning as you know over not only the earthly rulers and the earthly powers, but also the spiritual forces. Um, not only is he ruler over that now, but he will be in the future. And here's, I think this actually might help us understand something that we talked about not last time, but the time before that when we talked about predestination as well. The same, the same idea that that he, uh, the same idea of election and predestination before the creation of the world, is a similar kind of concept going forward that we have that Jesus is not only ruler now in this present age, but also in the age to come. So I talked about that the predestination election gives us confidence that God has a plan in place, and, and he had a plan in place before the creation of the world even, uh, for us, I would say, to put, to put back into... Um, under his authority, that which had rebelled against him, and in our case, humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but this is the extension of that, if you think about it, into the future. So before the creation of the world, God was in control, let's say, you know, and, and, and not only did he have a plan in place, but also we see now Jesus ascended. Of course, Jesus is the culmination and the fulfillment of that plan. Not only is he ascended and ruling now, but he will be in the future and the age to come as well. So it's kind of, <laughs> if I don't know what the opposite of predestination would be, but, you know, uh, foredestination or something, I don't know, but, you know, post-destination. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, you get what I'm saying? It's this idea yes. that he is, even in the age to come, in control. So in all times, in all places, and, and this is the kind of language we're going to see. The reason I think that this is what he's getting across is the very next sentence, or the, for us, the very next sentence, the end of his sentence um, that he gets across here. So go ahead and read uh, then the, the rest of the chapter then. So, yeah, so you know what I'm saying? Is- for this present age and also the age to come, uh, you know, this, this thing we're looking forward to in the age to come, and then read verses 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Okay, so he's ascended and he has been placed over all things. Okay, so so there's nothing that's outside of his control. Well, we talk about God's sovereignty and, and here Jesus shares in that being sovereign over all, ruling over all things, even as was promised. Uh, you know, in the prophetic in, in Psalm 110, for example, and other places. But, but he, here's the thing that I, I want I want you to notice here, and it's kind of unexpected. If we're not careful, we're going to read it the way we would expect it to be readed. Because uh, read it, read it, <laughs> as we say in Southern Indiana, or as we say in the rest of the world, read. Um, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> oh, we'll cut that out post production. Nope. Uh, <laughs> Bonus episode, everything stays. 
<laughs> oh goodness. So, so this idea that uh, when we read this, I think we we will read it, and, and so Christ is the head of the church, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not what it says. What does it say? Over everything for the church. Christ is, is the a- head over everything on behalf of the church, right, or for the church. Isn't that mm-hmm. interesting? Yes. So there's a is- sense in which, yeah. So it's a little bit different than we're used to. And, and again, this is one of those places if we don't slow down and think about it, you know, Christ is the head of the church, and that's true, right? That's not a false mm-hmm. thing. But we may be missing a point here because he goes on and says something else that I really want to. I want to really take a good look at the very, very last phrase there. But he's the head over everything. This is talking about his sovereignty. So, how does that help? I, I think if you're in Asia Minor in this period of time, so he's saying over the spiritual forces, all this kind of stuff. If you're facing adversity, if you're facing difficulty and you're in Asia Minor during this period of time, and maybe that's stuff like, uh, you know, relationships, or maybe that's stuff like um, uh, even bigger things that have to do with, with um, you know, government and, and these kind of things. I'm, I'm imagining here these first recipients of this. What Paul is saying to them is over everything that might be working against God's plan, you know, in, in, in his sovereignty, everything is under is under Christ. Everything has been placed under him. And, and he's going to, again, in chapter 2, talk about this thing, everything has been placed under his feet. Uh, I mentioned Psalm 110. We'll look probably more at that next uh, next time. But this idea that he is the head over all these things. And so we have... We have how do I say this? We have we, we need not fear. We, we we have confidence in what God is doing in us because even when things are not going as we would hope, <laughs> right, or as we would expect them perhaps, we remember that He is He's on the throne. You know, no matter what happens, He is on the throne. Uh, I wouldn't plan on saying this, but I just preached last week on Isaiah chapter six. And uh, of course that's the call of Isaiah, right? And it's that throne room scene. Uh, you've heard songs about this too, uh, where he sees uh, the Lord high and lifted up and his train fills the temple, right? And there are uh, seraphim that are, that are um, you know, saying to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and was and is to come, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this, this heavenly throne room scene. What's really interesting to me in that is Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 begins with the words, in the year King Uzziah died. And King Uzziah had been had reigned for fifty two years. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's almost impossible for us to imagine um, someone reigning on a throne for fifty two years. He started reigning when he was sixteen years old. Not only that, according to and he had his issues. I'm, I won't talk about that right now. But according to Second Chronicles twenty three, uh, Uzziah. Uh, built up the military. He supplied them with spears and and swords and and shields and things on his own. So he made them he he, he made them powerful militarily. He he built up defenses. So he put them in a very very good position. And then it's in the year King Uzziah dies, and and you're in this time of transition that Isaiah has this vision of the Lord on the throne. And here's the point: even if Uzziah is not on the throne anymore, God still is. Right, even in times where there might be uncertainty, and we might not understand exactly who's in charge, if you will, on right. the earth, our confidence is in the one who's in charge above the earth, and um, that's, I think, the point that Jesus is over 
everything um, on behalf of his people. Uh, this is, I think, similar to what Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? What's going to separate us from the love of Christ, right? Danger, right. sword, no, that stuff's crud, no deal. right? Wars, no, nothing like that can separate us from the love of Christ, um, the love of God that is in Christ. And so, so that's the idea that he's sovereign over everything on behalf of the church. And I think that would be meaningful, you know, for that reason. Now, here's the, the last part. And this I really want to jump up and down on for just a minute. Read that last phrase again. Well, you okay. go ahead and read the whole last. It, it's, it's, a good, it's a good sentence, but go ahead and read the whole thing. Okay. So let me just, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Yeah, now think about that. So here is the church who is his body. Okay, we can handle that. That that We know that. The, the yeah. church is the body of Christ. We can handle that. We're, we're used to that kind of metaphor. But then it says the fullness, and that's that word uh, pleorama I mentioned um, the last episode, the idea of fullness. It says when the fullness of time had come in the first part. And this word fullness is, is another one of these extravagant terms that Paul uses in Ephesians to get across this idea, this idea of ripeness of, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it, right? Of, of uh, fecundity to use a fancy word, but right. This idea of, of <laughs> this idea of fullness, right? And, um, and here's the here's the debate. Uh, the debate is is this talking about Jesus' fullness, or is it talking about the church's fullness? Mm. And 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 I think the language is what the NIV has the way they've done it. I think this idea of fullness is in the technical term would be an apposition to the word his body. So the church, his body, is the fullness of him who fills everything in, in every way. Mm. Now, what does it mean that he is the one who fills everything Thing in every way? <laughs> this is like a sentence my child would say, my son would say. Everything this, in every way. This is big, right? Right. Uh, you know, this, is, this, is, this is a big deal. So... For God, let's say, in Jesus to fill everything. So we have these phrases in the Old Testament like the, the, the creation is full of his glory, right? Mm -hmm. For him to fill everything, I think, is this idea that, that the creation that through the rebellion of these spiritual powers and then in, in turn the, the rebellion of humanity has in some places found itself devoid of the presence of God. Okay, mm -hmm. Not because of God, right? But because of their desire to turn away from him and their separation from him. Um, that emptiness, if, if you will. The, the ultimate goal of the restoration, the redemption we talked about last time, the ultimate goal of that restoring everything is for his fullness, his his presence, I'm gonna is what I'm gonna say, we could use the term glory, but I'm just gonna say presence. His presence is gonna be filling everything again. So the entire universe again filled with his presence. Uh, there's an author um, that I really like a lot. Um, um, whose name escapes me 
at the moment. This, this is going to be great. We're going to cut this part out. Nope. Um, Bonus episode. Everything stays. <laughs> How many times I have to tell you, Brian? Oh, goodness. Oh, come on. Uh, his name escapes me. He's, he's, um, he, he uh, is an author from Kentucky. He, uh, he's written several novels, but he also writes essays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll come up with his name eventually. Uh, and I know there are people out there shouting his name at the, at the, the stereo right now. But he said there are no, uh, he, he said one time, there are no um, uh, unsacred spaces. There are only sec- sacred spaces and desecrated spaces. In other words, uh, places that have been emptied of their holiness, emptied of their their connection with the presence of God. And, and so what we're talking about restoration is this idea of all of God's creation, again, being filled with, with his presence. Now, let's go back to this idea. If this is the church, if this is his body, the fullness of which, uh, uh, fullness of him, I should say, who fills everything in every way. What I think Paul is getting across here is that when we... Uh, are acting on his behalf, we are we are the ones who are working through his strength and his power that, again, Paul's going to talk even more about this later. He's already talked about it. You know, the strength that raised Christ from the dead, right? Mm-hmm. A- and he is now, with his church, using that to to carry forward the work of his, we would say in a simple way, the work of his kingdom. But we're doing this work of restoration of creation so that we are image bearers carrying his presence to all these places where it is it is devoid of his presence so um so that's kind of the idea that i i think he's getting across now why this is important i think is the first half of ephesians chapter one is talking about what we have and what's the phrase in christ right mm-hmm. yep. and now we as Christ's body it's not for us, right? It's not just for us. So we can right. sit around going, man, I've got the inheritance of the riches of his glory, of his grace that's, you know, glorious in every way, and the incomparable riches of his grace. You know, it's not so we can sit around and, you know, kind of like, um, oh, what's the duck, Scrooge McDuck, you know, and, and swim in his gold bullion or whatever. Fault, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's yeah. not so we can enjoy the riches. It's so that we can take that with us and fill uh, the rest of his creation with that. We have been empowered in order to be people who carry that with us wherever we go, and we fill the places around us. And we do that in a number of different ways. Not only, I, I mean, I, I, I love, we, you know, we, we love ministers, we love you know, paid vocational ministry, but we also love people who in their vocations, whatever they are, use them as opportunities to share the fullness of Christ with others, right? And and to begin to fill those places uh, as well. So, yeah, that makes me kind of think back to, you know, the Garden of Eden, Adam and his role was to subdue, you know, like, to right. go out and continue to subdue the earth. That's this it. idea of expanding, expanding the boundaries of, of, of Eden, of the Garden. You know, right. and that's that's so we have Christ, and He fills us to continue to do that that work that Adam was charged with to begin with to, to expand the boundaries of. It's God's exactly kingdom. it. That's that's the ongoing mission of what He has done for us in, in order to, um, um, you know, that that's why we have what we have, not just for our own selves, but also for, uh, you know, for the work that He has given for us to do. Yeah, I, I like. 
I like seeing that stacked the, up. That I'm looking first. for the name of that author. So yeah. Thomas Merton is it Thomas? Merton? No, it it's not like Thomas Merton. Say. Anyway, it, it sounds like something you'd say. But that's not. It, it. it sounds like something he would say. Um, but you know that first sentence and that se- you know the first sentence in the Greek that yes. three through fourteen and the second yes. sentence kind of going like you've got this and here's what you got to do with it now. Like, exactly. Here's, you know it's this it's this great argument at the beginning like I'm setting it up. You've got everything. Here's what we're going out to do. It's like a coach exactly. ramping up a team. You know, right. like, and they all hit the sign as they run out on the field. Yeah, Wendell Berry was the name I was trying to come I can't believe I forgot that. So uh, Unbelievable. Obviously, obviously, you can tell that was just something that came to me in, in the moment. You're but, slipping. You're slipping. <laughs> but that, uh, you yeah, know, don't, don't say that. My, my daughter was just telling me yesterday that my memory is not what it used to be, so... Well, I, um, I, you're you're doing pretty good. I'll give you I'll give you a shout <laughs> out for that. But uh, um, anyway, I, I I think you're exactly right. The first half of it is here's what you have in Christ, and now this part is yeah. I mean, isn't that an incredible phrase though? Um, that that you know the, the, that he is head over everything for his uh, for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So again, we're working toward this 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 fulfilling what what God's plan is. Uh, here, here's the quote. I, I looked it up. There are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. Uh, and that that's, uh, I, I think it's from his poem now, I'm remembering this, uh, on being a poet. Um, and it, it talks about that idea. So, so you know, this, this idea that all of God's creation reflects his glory, right? So there's no place that's unholy and unsacred. It's, it's just a place where that sacredness has been, has been removed or has been hollowed out, as we talked about when we talked about sin. So mm, that's, that's a, I mean, that's an interesting thing to think of. You know, when you, yeah. I've visited some places in the world that have been, <laughs> I mean, right. that have been atrocities yeah. that have happened there. And to think about like, Right. That they've been devoided of that through those atrocities, but that you know God had filled it with uh, His glory. And I know we 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 don't like to think about that. And even even when we think about the rebellion of humanity, um, you know this idea that God is everywhere. It, it's not because of God. It's not because He lacks some kind of power or something that He's not able to be in those places. But those are places that have been. Um, if you will, you know, he, where he's been pushed out, if you will, or pushed out is not even the right word, but you yeah, know what I'm saying? He can't where be pushed. Been, <laughs> yeah. Where it's been said that he's not wanted, right? That that there's a, there's a place that's still in rebellion. Uh, and we see this, again, most clearly for us, we see it most clearly humanity. But Paul's point here, and as I said, he's going to say this again in chapter two, he's going to say it again in chapter three, are also in the heavenly realms, right? Also in the spiritual, these spiritual powers that are at work um, that I think, you know, in some ways, I think Paul, from Paul's perspective, and, and I would say, you know, I share share his perspective, that those also lay behind some of these, some of these events that we look at in terms of humanity, you know, so for, again, we, you know, we, we don't want to tie these to specific times or spaces, but, you know, horrible news of things that happened in our own nation this last week. Absolutely. And, and, you know, those are, those are examples of this rebellion against God. You know, the, the one who says that he has created all humans in his image uh, and for someone to, to look at that people created his image and and think that they should be killed simply because of their their race or their you know their their ethnic ethnicity or or, or whatever is is a, is an atrocity and, and it's clearly a, a sign of the rebellion of God's creation and so anyway so. yeah 
Well, there's a lot in here. You know, yeah, for a bonus yeah. episode, we you know we took our time. <laughs> 52 minutes so far yeah. but no this is great I th but i think this really sets us up again i you know you pointed this out from the beginning yeah. the sentence one sentence one sentence yeah. and just like kind of getting this you're really i think we're really starting to see like this force of what paul's trying to bring to bear to this to this yeah. in this letter um and you know what yeah just the, the power behind it and, and and our call as a church as well so i think this Good. is great and i'm excited for us to continue this and get into awesome. ephesians too and keep going very cool. Well, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate your taking the time. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Brian. See ya. Well, it's good to be in the bistro. Bye. Uh